Welcome to Story Shaped, the podcast about the stories that shape us and have the power to change the world. I'm Susan Cahill, debut children's author, and my co-host is the seasoned and wonderful children's author Sinead O'Hart. Together, we'll be taking you through some deep dives into the books that shaped us and interviewing other writers about their favourite and most influential stories. We hope you'll enjoy Story Shaped. Okay, so today we have an absolute treat for all of our Story Shaped podcast listeners. This is our first episode where we welcome one of our spangly, fantastic, fantastic, wonderful guests. I'm so happy that our first guest on Story Shaped is none other than my friend and yours, the wonderful Olivia Hope. So I'm going to give Olivia a short introduction and then she's going to jump in and tell you all about herself and her wonderful book, which is called Be Wild, Little One, which came from came out from Bloomsbury um, earlier this year, illustrated by Daniel Egnius. It's an amazing, beautiful, possibly the most wonderful picture book I've ever seen. And any anyone I know who's had a baby in the last you know six months has had this as a as a present <laughs> because it's the most amazing <laughs> and beautiful <laughs> publication. Um, and Olivia is an Irish writer with a special love for children's fiction. But before writing, get this, she was a former record-breaking athlete and she competed internationally. Um, I forget the sport. She will tell you herself what it is. Something really cool. Um, she has worked with all ages from nursery schools to nursing homes and has taught children English, PE and on one occasion ice cream making, which apparently ended badly. Hmm. She reviews books for Children's Books Ireland and blogs on writing.ie and she currently lives in the wilds of Southwest Ireland with her family. And I am absolutely thrilled to welcome her here tonight to Story Shaped Podcast. So, Olivia, who are you and how are you? How's it going? Sinead, what a welcome. Oh my gosh, I I, I feel like I need to sit taller after that introduction. Thanks so much. Yeah, I'm here in Kerry sitting in the gorgeous evening sunshine and... um, yeah, it's funny when when you invited me, yourself and Susan invited me to be on this podcast about, you know, the stories that shaped me. I was like, oh, I, I've got shelves of books, but if I had to pick a few, where would I begin? And I was like, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Um, And being the type of last minute person that I am, I did leave it to the last minute. And I think um, <laughs> being under pressure to pick books, I actually ended up pulling up books from different stages of my life um so yeah and it's funny that you say that the that the book be wild little one you know it's it's quite an important message and a story for children about escaping into nature and kind of that connection you get from being outside in nature and kind of understanding the world and I suppose when I was little and I used to look at books I would have had that type of love like I I found it very hard to pick a children's book that really appealed to me because I felt like I was always asking questions when I was reading books yeah. so as much as I loved um nursery rhymes and Enid Blyton books and um, Tom Cochran's books about wildlife and um, the foxes in um, Run Wild um and run to earth I I loved encyclopedias I I had like my parents in in the late 70s early 80s they bought lots and lots of Collier's encyclopedias Brilliant. Um, 
<laughs> and I are uh, and readers digest kind of manuals and DIY books um and what to do in emergency situation, you know. So, <laughs> like yeah. these first aid books of what to do when someone has a fish hook stuck in their eye or they've got a green stick fracture. And I used to pour <laughs> over the information and I felt like it was like if I if I understood what to do, um, I could deal with stuff, you know, like what to do when like I know an awful lot of my friends will jokingly say, oh, I had a very illogical fear of quicksand. Well, I never had that fear because I knew what to do if I had quicksand <laughs> because I'd seen it in a book. Very good. Um, yeah. So um, and it's funny, I pulled out. I still have some of the books from when I was younger. Um, I think my parents still have the emergency DIY kind of um, what to do when there's an avalanche in County Kerry books. But I have some of the books from when I was younger. And one of the books um, Colliers did encyclopedias, but they also did junior classics. So this is one of a series of 10. And what they did was like book number one was nursery rhymes. And every night it would start off with, you know, um, twinkle, twinkle, little star. And, and they go through all like nursery rhymes and simple stories. And you had the three little pigs and you had little red riding hood. And then book two got a little bit more complex and there was more sophisticated stories. But I was obsessed with book six because it was about harvest of the holidays. And I, I I probably, there's a poem in this from Christmas time and it, it became like my dream story because it had everything that I wanted in a picture book story. And it was a poem, but it's a, it's a, such a famous Christmas poem by Clement Seymour called The Night Before Christmas. Oh, very famous one. Yeah. So um, I used to find myself um, diving into these books and kind of looking at um what would have been very 60s and 70s art, very kind of retro um, depictions of families and kind of domestic scenes. But the, there was something about the night before Christmas that means that even now I, I'm quite, I wouldn't say I'm obsessive, but if I saw a book on the night before Christmas, I'd buy it. So <laughs> I, I currently have one two <laughs> three I was so delighted when amazing oh it's one beautiful his one came out I love PJ Lynch she's brilliant um yeah I've got one illustrated by Christian Birmingham um I've even got kind of a search and find kind of puzzle one and Jen Jennifer Lovely as well she does beautiful illustrations oh she's a beautiful illustrator yes yeah um, and it was that combination of rhyme and story. Like, I couldn't believe how much happened in the night before Christmas. I, I couldn't believe how the energy in that poem could convey the magic of Christmas. Um, and I suppose when I, it was the art as well. So I often found myself, you know, I, I ended up working with kids um, and becoming a teacher. And I found that when I was teaching primary school PE in, in the UK, I would use picture books as uh, a starting point for a dance class or for a gymnastics class so we did we went on a bear hunt when we were inside the gymnasium fantastic <laughs> so kind of like imagining, and it would be really really physical or um if we were um you know outside we could end up um pretending that we were going for a walk in the deep 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 dark woods or whatever and we might see a gruffalo so i found that 
it was very easy to use picture books as a way to teach children um, or to get them to explore their imagination and engage with, with physical activities. Um, so yeah, picture books, and I, I, I really do feel that when it came to picture books, it was, there was something that you could see that seemed to expand and explode with words. Um, and I still feel like that about picture books. That's never, ever changed. That's still that feeling I got looking at these 1960s and 1970s children's compendium hasn't changed. Brilliant. But I, did, I didn't buy a lot of children's books mm. until, until I had my own children. Um, um, I know you, you said that... Uh, I did sport and I, I went over to the UK on a sports scholarship to Brunel University to do um, hammer throwing. Um, and it That's was it. I knew job. it was something cool. I couldn't think of it was the discus <laughs> or the hammer. I knew it was something amazing anyway. <laughs> when I went over, I, 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 when I went over, it was such a big jump going from, you know, having lived in Kerry and kind of gone to university and then make, to going to London like because I was that was it I was literally in a separate country I couldn't nip back home every weekend and I, I really discovered this whole world of uh not self-help books more kind of like books that kind of helped you understand yourself right so there was um I read an interview in a newspaper uh, by um Bobby Skinstead who was a rugby player who played for South Africa. And he talked about the frame of mind when you were preparing for a competition. And he said, you know, you cannot afford the luxury of a negative thought. And I thought that's a really cool quote, but he was actually giving this title of a book. And I kind of became very interested then in reading books about understanding how you think. Um, and I suppose it probably possibly predates mindfulness, but it's that mm. understanding of uh, thoughts can rush in and out. Like statistics that I was that I read at the time was you can have twenty six thousand thoughts a day. You don't need all of them. And actually, <laughs> you, should able, you should be able to filter out the thoughts that you don't need. You don't need. I wish I could do that. Yeah. yeah well this this was one of the things it kind of this book you cannot afford the luxury of a negative thought helped you to kind of label okay I've reacted that way I've thought this how can I turn that around um I went through a phase of reading all the chicken soup for the soul books oh like, I got those from my mom for a present one year I got one chicken soup for the mother's soul and I remember yes. I read it first before I gave it to her it was actually well, I mean, looking back on it now, it was kind of treacly, but it really it was. it was very meaningful at the time. I, I get, yeah. Yeah. Or <laughs> even, you know, John Donahue and Anam Kara and stuff like that. Yeah, just yeah. kind of in that sense of self or The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott, M. Scott Peck. Peck, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I found that um, that that was quite important to me, but that very much led me into poetry and read, led me into John Donahue would have led me into poetry and um, quite early on, I would have started reading Mary Oliver. And Mary Oliver's kind of saw herself and reflected on herself in nature. And I suppose that feeds back into what I like writing about or writing about children reflecting on themselves in nature. So it kind of came full circle that way when it came to the type of stories that kind of seemed to feed into me wanting to write a certain way, you know? Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I noticed you post a lot of her poetry on 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 Twitter, um, and I think it's beautiful. I, I every day when you post or whenever you post some of Mary, uh, Mary Oliver's work, I go, gosh, I wish I was more familiar with her work. But I, I love that you that you I love the bits you post. They're really really gorgeous. Yeah, she's an amazing poet. Yeah, I'm not very familiar with like I know a, a fair bit of poetry, but I wouldn't be something I would have ever sat down to read really for pleasure. Not very often. Anyway, mm. I have a collection of Maeve McGuckian poems somewhere in the house, which I really enjoy reading. But uh, and of course, and I went through a phase of loving. Um, Oh my goodness, Sylvia Plath, um, but I don't yes. really read a whole lot of poetry, but Mary Oliver's yeah. work is really, really beautiful. So thank you for putting me onto her, onto her. I really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, but um, when it came to kind of figuring out then about writing, I'd say only in recent years have I started reading books that would kind of give me direction or kind of inspire me. Or I suppose it's been such a funny few years for creative people with COVID and stuff. And that kind of like... Mm. At the start of COVID, I became very aware that my writing stopped totally. And um, just prior to that, I met some friends and somebody had mentioned Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. I think I might have oh, yeah. mentioned it. Um, and I read it and I really enjoyed it. And then I listened to the audiobook of it. And Elizabeth Gilbert's voice... <clears throat> Is ve- she speaks very slowly and she's very, very therapeutic. <laughs> and I found that I got as much, I, I probably got more out of listening to the audiobook because it feels really personalized, this big magic. I also ended up listening to Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird as well. And she's got a wicked sense of humor, you know. So she kind of, it, both of them, they kind of, they, they take you out of the ivory tower when it comes to writing and they put you go, no, it's a bit of graft, you know, like creative, the creative angel or the creative fairy is not going to kind of go, oh, we're waiting for a divine moment. They're like, no, you keep on showing up. You keep on showing up and you keep writing. Um, yeah. And on the back of that, actually, I ended up picking up Michael Morapugo's Such Stuff, which is the book he wrote about um, his inspiration and I ended up reading about how he came to write War Horse. Oh, and it's, it's extraordinary because it's a phenomenon now, obviously, because, it, it, you know, it's been a, a wonderful stage show with the Hansprung um, Theatre Company, with these beautiful full-size, life-size puppet horses. And, of course, it's been a film by Sp- Steven Spielberg, but the story behind him making that first story about the horse, Joey, it's its chance. It's chance that it was ever written. And even then, it was pure chance that it was even turned into a stage show. And it was pure chance that Steven Spielberg happened to see the stage show. And if anything, it was a 20-year journey between him first writing it and it getting to that point. And I thought, you know, he wrote the story because of an, a kind of a close encounter a child had with one of the horses on his farm and it's it kind of made me realize you know sometimes you write because of it's it's important to capture that moment you know yeah and, and anything else doesn't matter you have to write those precious moments down because they, they kind of capture an awful lot and this in that moment that he describes in um his book which is called such stuff um and it was published by walker books a few years ago there's just a great sense of 
it's not it's a duty but it's almost like it's a vocation to write and capture stuff like that and you know and you do it regardless you're not doing it for the the kind of the praise you just you know there's stuff that you see and, and that if you capture it by writing and share it that it will have the same impact or resonance with other people and that that's that's quite lovely really actually I, I like that sense that you're capturing stuff for other people to see that's beautiful and that's kind of what we're about here in story shape domain one of the things we like to ask our guests um is you know do you see yourself as a shaper of stories for future generations and if so what does that mean to you and, and how how does that sort of impact maybe does it impact the way you work do you think of it consciously when you're creating or is it just something that you you don't you know that's something that maybe comes after or or how would you how would you do you have any thoughts on that oh See, I, I've been asked a few times about how a story comes to happen. And very often, I, it's a moment I see. And the moment is something that will trigger me. And, and I'll either see a scene in my head or I'll, there'll be a feeling in a certain kind of situation. I'll go, what if, if, if I, if, is that moment that, that's just popped into my head? Is that the start of a story? Is that the middle of a story? And then I kind of, if I can see it in my head, if I can see it illustrated in my head, then I know it can be written for children. And I feel I kind of come around it the wrong way because in one way it it excites me. And, and that's probably a little bit daft that a 46-year-old woman will go, this is really exciting for me. Not this at all. Really- that's exactly what you should write about. If you're excited, then your reader is excited. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. In the hope that this will kind of excite uh, a child. But I kind of, like when I wrote Be Wild Little One, I, I was writing it for my sons. I have three sons. And, and when I wrote it, they were much, much younger. You know, we're talking about seven or eight, nine years ago now. Um, and it was like, what is the one wish I can give them that that is absolutely true? That they know that's something mom would say or that's mo- that's something mom would do, you know. And I kind of feel like that. Um that, that's the most important thing. It has to sing absolutely true to me and something I would say to my kids or, or, or to my niece and my nephews. And I feel if, if if that's true for us, then it has to, you know, be resonant for other parents or other grown-ups with their younger kids. So that, that I suppose, yes, I am trying to shape a story or maybe I'm, I'm, I'm trying to gift a story that has, that has brings us joy in our little universe. So hopefully if, if you push it out to the greater universe, it'll kind of work that way as well I suppose very good um Mm -hmm. and a question we like to ask everybody here and I suppose you've you've sort of answered it but uh maybe think about this as well um are are you story shaped do you do you I suppose do you subscribe to our philosophy here on the pod um that the stories that we read or the books that we read sort of shape us you know they kind of turn us into people we're supposed to be or they help us to become the person that we end up becoming do you think that's true very very much so i kind of i I kind of feel as well that um i i i I subscribe to the idea of stories being across art forms so i feel like when you take any art form that the type of story or the message that comes out of the art form kind of informs you um so that's everything from lyrics in a song I, i love good lyrics like i really like um like I have a book of song lyrics and I could read them like poetry because the message that um that comes through in great songwriting you know whether it's Leonard Cohen or whether it's um you know George and Ira Gershwin I just I love 
words and the story they tell. And I know that that lyricism in their songwriting would feed into my stories. Um, I, I wish I was, I, I could read more. I had more time to read because I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm not reading all the books I, I could be reading, you know, because there's so many, so many good books out there. Um, I feel like my to be read pile is getting taller and taller. <laughs> yes, and mine too. <laughs> I kind of feel like, have I not read that? Am I missing out? Is there something else I could be feeling here? There's some great thoughts in that book. So yeah, yeah. I read um, chemistry lessons just very recently, or, or sorry, lessons of chemistry. And um, I was just so moved by it. And then the idea it was so sharp and so funny and so quick witted the, the the language but then it was against you know this um wall of how would I describe it this wall a glass ceiling that was pushing down on women all the time so I kind of felt like when I was reading the story I was constantly frustrated that the main character was having to deal um you know with this type of behavior from the people around her because she was a great scientist. Um, so yeah, I, and I probably get too absorbed in books then when I do read them in that I kind of like, I could, I could, the mood will still be with me when I'm like going, you, everybody has to be more like a feminist in this house. We need to, everybody has equality. It's like, like <laughs> you know, it kind of like, so it does filter into my daily life then depending on what I've been reading. But no, that's great. I mean, there's nothing, yeah. nothing better for a house full of men or a house full of young men than to be taught how to be a feminist by their mom. I absolutely think that's fantastic. Go you. So if you were to pick, I suppose, your top I don't know. I won't say your top five because we don't have all night, but your your top your top few picture books. If you were to tell people, you know, um, what would be the best or the, the most meaningful to you or the ones that you think are the most accomplished picture books? Um, can you think of any? Yeah. So the one that jumps out immediately um, and it's one that I've gifted to an awful lot of people is one called Zed is for Moose. Zed is and for Moose. I have never Zed heard that is, one. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm invested so it, already. So it's it's by written by Kelly Bingham and illustrated by Paul Ozelinski. Um and it's just it takes what is a very straightforward idea of an alphabet book that right. um one of the animals has decided that um they're going to do all the animals um, in alphabetical order um, and it's zebra zebra's plan is to kind of go through all the animals in the alphabet and the, there's one of the animals who's absolutely convinced he's going to be in it and it's called moose moose is absolutely convinced that when it gets to the letter m that it will be him so he keeps popping up too early on in the book so he pops up when we've got A is for apple and B is for ball and C is for cat and then D is for moose and zebra is kind of going no, no. D is not for moose and he has to hunt away moose and it gradually gets more and more chaotic it's such a funny way to learn the alphabet it's such a really funny way for kids to see like oh, can it be me is it my turn and then discovering it's not your turn what do you do when it's not your turn then at the end because Spoiler alert, 
M isn't just for moose. There's other animals you can pick and, and there's a fallout for that. So it's just very funny, very, very clever, you know. Um, yeah, it really made me laugh out loud. And I, I kind of, I, I come back to that because I think that's, that's one of the great things about children's books. Like, I think they're the first stories and you can have something so brilliant and so clever and so funny. Like, if, if it can make an adult go, oh, that's very good and very clever. Imagine what it's doing to a small young reader who's seeing this for the first time. This is like, oh, my gosh, this is brilliant. Yeah. Blowing their mind. Absolutely. That sounds amazing. Yeah, gonna, yeah, I've yeah. made a note of that one. <laughs> that is for Moose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, let me see. So I have to say, I'm insanely jealous of this pairing and combination, but I do find that Joseph Coelho and uh, Fiona Lumbers. Fiona Lumbers, I was going to say, are they the ones you're going to pick? They are fabulous together. I, yeah. think, I think they have got Luna Loves Library and Luna Loves to Dance and Luna Loves Art. Um, and they even had a little book for Luna Loves World Book Day. Yeah. But they are a fantastic pairing, you know, Joseph is currently the children's laureate in the, in the UK, isn't he? Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Great, great and choice. He, I was so happy to see he that. Is, he is amazing at with his story ideas. He's got a beautiful turn of phrase. He embraces spoken word and he in such a way that children don't realise they're being exposed to poetry. It's it's just wonderful. But his um stories about Luna are beautiful and Fiona's art really captures um, life for a little girl, life with her mom and dad who've split up, life in school when her friends are a bit worried about stuff, um, life um, around family, other family members, um, just very clever, very true. Like I said, one of the things when a picture book is true, you can really um, relate to it. And I just feel like uh, I I think my boys were just a little bit too old when Fiona's books came out and Fiona and Joe's books came out. Um, so I kind of I kind of have I have all of them for me. Um, <laughs> I'm very, very happy to have them. Yeah, I know they're great stories, too. And finally, do you know what I have to say? I have. It has to be where the wild things are by Maurice. Oh, it's a classic for a reason, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I just think like when it it just captures that moment where a kid has been sent to their room, you know, and like we've all I, mean, I know I've been sent to my room. I know my boys have been sent to, you know, and that moment when you're just so cross, you know, the injustice. And then, you know, you go off, you go to the wild place and you go, um, you, you know, you really explore and you embrace that wild side. And then after a while, you kind of go, actually, I don't want to be that wild, you know. I want that to where I, I can get a hug. Yeah. <laughs> and he comes back, you know, in the last lines, it was still warm. His yeah. dinner was still warm. So he wasn't gone that long. And I just think... You know, there's the constancy of like when he gets back home, like the food is warm, you know, everything's going to be fine. And, and uh, yeah, it's just something very special about Maurice Sendak and, and how he kind of interacted with children. Um, he really valued children as readers. I love and the he, story. He 
Yeah, Sorry, I, I, love, I love the anecdote about Maurice Sendak when he got a somebody or he sent he sent an original drawing and a, you know a little boy wrote to him with a, a fan letter or something and, he, and or asked him a question and he answered the question and sent him back a piece of original drawing and the little boy loved it so much that he ate it and Maurice Sendak thought this was brilliant you know the best the best possible um, uh, compliment that could be paid to his work. No <laughs> was to higher be, was compliment. To be. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. I love that he had that. I love that he had that reaction. He must have been a person who really knew his audience. <laughs> but, yeah, um, and he 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 wouldn't talk down to children. Like you know, he 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 knew like children can deal with scary things and and big ideas and stuff like that. And I suppose the picture books you can show that in a big way. Um, sure. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's, how, that's the power of them, isn't it? The, the, the pictures really help to sort of navigate and, I suppose, deal with these big feelings that can be in the book. You know, they can really help the child to sort of dissect those feelings in, in a safe way or in a way that they can kind of control. I think it's really, really important and they're fabulously important uh, piece of, they're fabulously important works of art and they're fabulously important um, mm-hmm. artifacts to, to be able to give to kids and especially ones that are as beautifully done as as be wild one it really is truly <laughs> i'm not saying that just because you're on the podcast and because you're a person who i respect and admire hugely but i absolutely absolutely adore your book and uh, i'm really really hoping that it, everybody else in the world does too because everybody needs to read this book <laughs> it's fabulous um but for the last few minutes of our pod interview why don't we talk a little bit about what's next from you in terms of upcoming projects if you can speak about them and if you can't i think a- i can I think I can speak about one. Um, so there's a book coming out next year um, and it's called Little Lion Girl. Um, oh, brilliant title. I love it already. <laughs> yeah. So it's about a little girl and it's about the excitement of going into the city and having a big trip to the city and how um, it's this, the city is like a jungle to her and how she interprets the city being a jungle and I kind of it's funny I went to Dublin a few days ago and I still get excited going on the train to Dublin <laughs> you know <laughs> because that's my inner child I like when you come from a small village or a small town going to a city and just taking it all it's actually wonderful like all this traffic and all these people and people working in these high tall buildings and you know shops that sell everything for everybody um, and just so many different places to eat and it does feel like you're traveling to another realm and I kind of I suppose for a small child to kind of get a sense of that I thought it's like going to the jungle really you know like you are going to an urban jungle um, so it's going to be illustrated by the absolutely wonderful Fiona Woodcock, whose art oh, I just wow. Beautiful. I've seen the stuff she's done with um, Abby Elphinstone and yes. Karina. Her Snow just, Dragon is amazing. Oh, oh. Yeah. So I just I can't <laughs> wait to see. I can't wait to see how she portrays the characters. The main character is called Leone, and uh, Leone is is dead. She's dead brave. She kind of feels like she's a lion, you know, so she's not worried about anything. And she's quite keen to explore the jungle, which is fine because she's got her mom nearby. Um, but I suppose it's what happens then when you accidentally get lost in the jungle and you're not near your mom and what happens. So, so that's that story. So I'm really looking forward to that because uh, I'm just very excited. I love the idea of mashing two worlds together like that and seeing what comes out. So, yeah. Incredible. Well, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I, lo- I would read your shopping list, Olivia. Um, so. <laughs> I, for one, am absolutely t- thrilled to know there's more coming from from your wonderful oh. pen. 
Um, and we are just about to uh, run out of time on our call. So Aww. I think I shall have to say farewell and adieu to you, lovely lady. And thank you so much for joining us on our very first guest interview on Story Shaped Podcast. Um, I'm afraid Susan couldn't be with us this evening, uh, technical difficulties. Um, but I hope that you've enjoyed listening to myself and Olivia talk about the books, that the stories that shaped her um, and the stories that she has shaped. And I know that her stories will go on to shape so many beautiful young minds in so many beautiful ways. Uh, she is very, very gifted and is an asset to the children's book uh, world. So if you don't, if you haven't read her book yet, go and get it. Um, there will be links in the show notes to uh, places that you can pick up a copy of Be Wild, Little One. And uh, I'm looking forward next year to uh, Little Lion Girl. So it's from it's good night for me and good night from Olivia. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and thank you very much everybody for listening see you next time on story shape podcast you've been listening to story shaped with susan cahill and sinead o'hart follow us on twitter at story shaped pod and don't forget to subscribe on the streaming service of your choice so that you never miss an episode music by tony betts mm-hmm.